0: Credit approval, terms apply. So, IXL Learning is a multi subject online program for kids, and it's used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the US. 14 million students use it. And if you have kids who are trying to get ahead, or if they're struggling with certain subjects, or studying for a test that's coming up, IXL is this personalized learning tool that you can use to help kids learn what they need to learn faster. And they have programs K through 12. So there's something for every level. And some of my nieces and nephews have been homeschooled. And so my family has used tools like this to supplement curriculum or to brush up or to sharpen skills. IXL Learning has won tons of awards and so many students have benefited from it. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get iXL now. And Ologies listeners can get an exclusive 20% off iXL membership when they sign up today at iXL.com slash Ologies. So visit iXL.com slash Ologies to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Oh, hey, it's your mom's neighbor who dresses up that ceramic goose on her porch now in a tiny scarecrow costume for fall. Allie Ward, I'm back with another episode, fiery one of Ologies. This is one of those very, very many years in the making episodes where as soon as I decided to make this podcast Ologies, I was like, I got to hit up this expert and I put him on a list. This interview, it's electric. But first, let's thank everyone in the club at patreon.com slash Ologies. You're like fam you submit questions and you find out what episodes are coming up. I love you. Thanks to everyone who's recommended ologies on like message boards and group texts and socially distanced barbecues. Thanks to everyone wearing ologies merch from ologiesmerch.com. Thank you to the folks who press subscribe and who rate it. We're like number three on the science charts. Bananas. Especially thank you to the folks who leave reviews. For me to read on uh, days when I feel like a dirty, nervous prairie dog, which is often sometimes, I read them all. And so here's a fresh one to prove it. This is from Loved This, who said, you think scientists would be very serious people who get straight to the point, but nope. So fun to listen to. I learned so much. Thanks, Dad Ward. I hope you know that that's your name now and that will be put on your headstone. I hope you like it. Signed, Love This. Loved This. I love that. Yes, I'm into it. It's an honor. Okay, so Fulminology. Let's get into it. Very much a thing. It's a science of those streaks in the sky. And it comes from the Latin word fulgare, which means to shine or to flash. And by the way, I learned this one minute ago that fulminate also means to publish a thundering denunciation. So if you're feeling pretty charged up by current events, fulminate is... To your heart's content, my sweet smart babies. Kaboom. Okay, so also, if you have a fear of thunder and lightning, you're not alone. I'm looking straight at you, my dog, Grammy, and also my dear sister friend, Shannon Feltis. You have something that is called coronaphobia. It's also inexplicably named astrophobia, brontophobia, and tonotrophobia. So let's learn a little bit more about it. Okay, so I met this ologist. Probably five years ago, we were both on the bill for a nerd night in L.A., and he just dazzled this whiskey drunk crowd with wildfire and thunderstorm facts. And he studied fire science in Northern California. And for the past decade has been a researcher with the West Cats group reviewing satellite imagery and monitoring weather patterns and really mapping the topography of the Western United States to figure out how geology and mountains interact with weather systems to better predict where lightning might strike. So he is such a Californian. I love it. He's laid back. He's cool, affable, committed to protecting the land we love out here. So kick your boots up, lean back on your porch chair and open a beer or an organic superfoods kombucha and enjoy some facts about thunder and lightning and Thor and storms and pigeons and volcanoes and scars and gigawatts and sprites and elves and flaming tornadoes. And of course, wildfires with lightning scientist and your favorite fulminologist, Chris Giesigie. When all of this news of all of these like dry lightning and dry storms and blazing hollow trees was coming out the last couple of weeks i was like i have so many questions um oh my first question though i always have to ask is can you say your first and last name and what your
1: pronouns are my name is chris Gisigi. pronouns mm-hmm. he. he
0: cool okay Also, Chris is about to start a new and very exciting job. But because we're so deep in infernos out here, his start time has to wait until after fire season, ironically.
1: It's a a job as an inspector with Cal Fire. So going to properties and places and making sure that people are ready to go in case of wildfire not if but when a wildfire comes through up in the uh, Napa County area. When is fire season even over in California? You know, it it all depends. This year, I mean, it's it's looking like it's going to be high and dry until at least October November. I'm ready to go. I mean, shoot, man. <laughs> I got my boots, <laughs> I got my gear. Uh throw me on there, my N95 mask, put me out there and let me talk to some people about some fire prevention.
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: you know, I mean, you're from up there. Did you grow up with with fires and lightning really on your radar, on your Doppler since you were a kid? Or where did you start getting into this?
1: Well, it's, you know, it's funny because California in general, a lot of people think, oh, you know, California's kind of boring and eh, maybe they got some earthquakes here and there too. Mm-hmm. So growing up in Sonoma County, I really don't remember a lot of fire activity. We don't really get too much thunder and lightning. It was one of those things where we just like, oh, you know, at the time being a firefighter would be cool. Maybe I'll we will do that, you know, kind of macho and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's get out there. Yeah, bro, firefighting. <laughs> it, it really wasn't until maybe later years of high school where I started thinking, ah, you know, that'd be kind of cool. It pays well all the time. Benefits are really good. You know, it's all about the future. Find something that you can <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you can get all those good perks with. And then you go to college and I'm like, wow, actually the science of this stuff is a lot more fascinating to me.
0: Ah, <clears throat> and what kind of courses did you start taking? Was it meteorology or physics or what is does a fire lightning scientist study?
1: <clears throat> so at first it's just straight fire science. So you're looking at fire chemistry, you're looking at fire behavior, You're looking at fire prevention systems, and it's both kind of uh, wildland and uh, structure fire or residential fire. So you can you kind of pick up both, at least the program I was in. It was even things like hazardous materials and weapons of mass destruction and and all that kind of crazy stuff. So basically, it's fire chemistry, the history of fires, uh, fire behavior fire prevention systems, things like hazardous materials.
0: He says that once you get further into college and you jump through those flaming hoops, you can specialize in how meteorology affects fire and climate, or you can study GIS, which I 100% had to look up and found that it means geographic information systems, aka maps. Well, it's technically a framework for gathering, managing, and analyzing data rooted in the science of geography and analyzing spatial location and layers of information into visualizations using map and 3D scenes, which means just really bitchin' as hell maps.
1: You could even just continue into some sort of fire management. And so a lot of my coursework is strictly related to fire and then a lot of life sciences stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. So weather and climate, physics, definitely, Mm -hmm. and calculus. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know, but yes, you do calculus.
0: What are you calculusing? As a fire scientist,
1: yeah, so many computers and different models that kind of help us with this. So, there really isn't that much calculus when you're doing just in the field stuff. But in terms of meteorology and fire weather, calculus is a lot of it's integrals and derivatives. It's all rates of change.
0: And so, how much of your work deals with fire science and how much deals with lightning? Or is it kind of an equal amount?
1: Uh, It's kind of an equal amount. My research in particular. Mm -hmm. is more lightning. Mm -hmm. And we look more at the electrical and magnetic properties of it. Let's say we're trying to figure out a way to build more confidence in our our, uh, lightning models for prediction Mm -hmm. or projections. So we kind of look at, all right, what are the different atmospheric elements and conditions that are happening? And how is that interacting with the earth, creating some sort of electrical and magnetic environment in that particular place to create lightning at a certain place in a certain time? Mm-hmm. And then we relate that mostly to uh, a typical quote-unquote would be fire season, which is usually your late spring or summer months through fall. We come up with some sort of projection system to say, all right, these areas have high risk of lightning. And because during these months when these certain conditions are met, uh, lightning caused fires could be issues here.
0: Oh. Okay, this is a huge issue. And as someone who lives on the West Coast, the last few weeks, our lives out here have just been spent indoors, not only because of Corona, but because the air is so thick with smoke, you can barely see a few hundred feet in front of you. I myself have had horrible headaches, a few migraines, my throat hurts, the whites of my eyes are kind of a soft fuchsia color, and wildfires in Oregon have claimed the lives of dozens of people and counting. So this is a really big topic, but we're going to put a pin in it for a second and get to the basics of lightning. What does it look like? How does it work? And is the sky mad, bro? And do you have a lightning storm in your mind that when you think back is like the most fireworks one that you've ever experienced? What's the craziest lightning storm you've ever seen?
1: (laughs) Uh it man there's there's a lot of good ones yeah. um, because I mean not not really here in California per se mm-hmm. the last one we had recently was you know it was damaging and everything but from my perspective it was kind of fun but mm-hmm. most of the major lightning storms that have been through either Florida or Ohio so the Midwest or or the Florida which gets lightning like crazy it was actually at uh Disney World it looked like the cloud to ground lightning strikes were hitting the bush right in front of us.
2: Oh, And God. it was.
1: Yeah, everything rumbles and it cracks and you kind of lose stability for a little bit. And you're... it's so loud and it's so bright. Mm-hmm. to the point where like my mom and my sister were actually covering their ears and be like, we don't want to be here. <laughs> oh, no. crazy. We need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? <laughs> uh, This is three years ago. Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure so, if you were like a baby. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> no. You
1: know, in you know, me, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. No, 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 <laughs> we got to see, <laughs> we got to see what happens. Let's see if it's going to hit that tower. Let's see if it's going to fry these people or Uh, or
0: (laughs) were they like Chris did you bring this with you it knows that you're a fire lightning wizard um (laughs) it's going on your business card okay so this but seeing it that up close I've never seen it that up close but okay what is the difference between lightning striking the clouds to the ground versus the ground to the clouds like what exactly is lightning where is it going
1: Oh, so the story of lightning. Oh, my yes. God. Okay, so this is, I, I've actually kind of written about this. So I you think have- of, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, to, to kind of set a tone here, the way I think of the process of lightning happening is I think about all these little molecules and particles that are happening within the cloud and happening within the atmosphere and are, <clears throat> you know, flowing in the earth. And I always like to think of them as an emoji. Or as little emojis <laughs> running around with different smiley faces or positive charge and negative charge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and they have this goal in life and that's to con- find, find something of the opposite charge and connect with it and do this little dance. And then they go into the great beyond afterwards, wherever that is, <laughs> whatever they're do- whatever they're doing there. So lightning is it's a development of a certain cloud type called cumulonimbus clouds. So if you
0: heard nephology with Dr. Rachel Store, you may be familiar already with cloud anatomy.
1: And what happens is within these clouds, uh, the clouds form because we typically have uh, updrafts of air, warm air rises. So we get updrafts and as it rises, it runs into the altitude. So you get higher up and higher up, it gets a little colder. And so as that air rises, it kind of cools and condenses. And uh, little droplets form around particulates, little ice crystals can form and they're banging around in there, having a good old time, hitting <laughs> each other, bumping, <laughs> doing whatever. And uh and at that point you kinda you start to build up like this static charge, this electrostatic charge that's in the clouds as electrons start to get stripped or transferred from one to the other. And so during this process, eventually what happens is these clouds, when they're starting to get ready, when they're priming themselves for a lightning event, they separate themselves. So uh, the negative charges go down towards the bottom of the cloud and Mm -hmm. the positive charges go towards the middle or the top of the cloud. And this is because what what weather is, is it's a neutralization process. So we're trying to get these electrons that are up in the cloud down to earth. They want to neutralize themselves at earth, bring them Mm -hmm. back to uh, to where they belong, so they separate themselves up there, and then at the same time, they're separating themselves in other clouds, or they're separating themselves at the ground. So on the ground level, you might have uh, the electrons will actually get pushed down further uh, to further lowers of the uh, of the ground, which leave <coughs> nothing but a positive charge stuck at the surface. Um, this is just uh, opposites attract, like charges uh, repel each other. So the electrons in the cloud are gonna help push those down, those electrons in the ground, down even further into the ground and that leaves a nice positive charge on the surface. Mm-hmm. So what happens then is once everything gets kind of built up, then those charges are gonna look to connect somewhere. And so sometimes they're gonna interconnect within the cloud. Sometimes they're gonna connect between one cloud and another. Oh. Uh, which is cloud-to-cloud, or sometimes they're going to uh, try and connect with the charges that are on the ground, and that would be uh, cloud-to-ground lightning.
0: Oh, okay. So these ice particles are just having an airborne mosh pit. Some are losing electrons, some are gaining them, and this tension builds, and then the mosh pit divides with the negative charges heading to the bottom now as for cloud to ground lightning electrons on the earth's surface get pushed further into the ground so positive charges are kind of simmering on the ground and they have to meet each other and then boom lightning strikes to neutralize it and the mosh pit goes wild they love it and then they're like ah and so which is most common
1: uh, cloud to ground lightning is actually the least common. It's the one we oh, see okay. and the one we relate to the most, but it only makes up like 20 to 25% of lightning strikes. The rest are typically cloud to cloud or intra cloud. Oh, okay. Yeah. Crazy, right?
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so they're up there kind of banging around and discharging that electricity from cloud to cloud a lot of the times, but we notice the ones that are uh, ground cloud because they're kind of
1: closer to us? Well, they, they look cooler. They're more streaky. <laughs> they're the ones that we see when the flash comes down. And uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like an, an adrenaline rush for them, really. So yeah. <laughs> what, I, what I picture is, you know, the ones coming from the cloud to the ground, what I picture is, is uh, after enough electrostatic charge has built up in the clouds, they're now ready to go. And you have something called step leaders and streamers. Mm-hmm. And these are kind of the leading molecule, the leading uh, charges that are getting out there and ready to go.
0: So these are step leaders that reach down toward the ground and streamers down below that reach up.
1: And so I picture these these little charges strapping on a helmet, putting on their goggles. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the step leaders are up in the cloud and they're shouting out at the streamers down in the ground, you know, uh, Step leader to streamer leader. Step leader to streamer leader. Over. (laughs) Streamer to step leader. Streamer to step leader. Copy that. Ready to engage. (laughs) All right, here we go. And they turn around and they get all the other electrons riled up. Hey Rangers, yeah, let's go. (laughs) So then they throw on some heavy metal music and they start. They
0: (laughs) just gonna say you need jock jams for this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: So they. You know, and they take off and they, the step leader is kind of the initiator of these lightning strikes. And so they take off towards the ground and they have no idea where they're going. They have no idea where these other charges are on the ground because there's such a distance between them. They can only really communicate about 50 meters or so. So that's why you start to see lightning in jagged forms because it's these uh, these uh, electrons trying to reach the ground that are trying to find the opposite charge, but really can't. So they shoot out in intervals um, and they take this jagged path until eventually they connect with it. And then they meet together and and the streamers, so the charges on the ground will actually reach up sometime and try and meet them at a certain point.
2: (gasps) Cool.
1: Yeah.
0: And is it fractals at all or am I making that up? Does it go like two veins split into four veins split into... Is there anything like mathematic or pattern wise about lightning strikes or is it pretty random?
1: Um, it's just kind of whatever path they can find mm-hmm. for least resistance and however they can try and, and find themselves to the opposite charge. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I mean, it does form a very tree-like, kind of like family tree-like structure or mm-hmm. veins of a river or stream. Yeah. <clears throat> something like that, which is pretty cool. Ah,
0: you've never been struck by lightning, have you?
1: I have not. Okay.
0: Fuck on wood.
1: I do not plan on it. <laughs> i don't know i don't know about you Allie, but i'm mm,
2: gonna say you know, no on that
1: <laughs> a little <laughs> lightning
0: uh pass. lightning
1: up the butt doesn't sound too good to nope. me. i don't know about you nope.
0: <laughs> gonna gonna keep my butt right out of it to be honest have you heard about the guy who was struck something like seven times
1: uh yeah that'd be the old park ranger guy yes. um uh oh shoot what's his name's roy sullivan Oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, have you ever looked him up?
0: I have, and I've read his story. And I—I I mean, what do you think was happening with him?
1: Oh my God! I mean, this poor guy. So several of the instances—I mean, he gets struck. He's driving away from a storm and gets nailed by lightning inside of his car. I think mm. something like that happened twice. Yep.
0: It's true, and apparently, whenever he was caught in a storm, he would pull over and lie down in the front seat of the truck to hide from the lightning. And he also started to carry around a can of water in case he got struck again and his hair caught on fire. And spoiler, he had to use that can more than once.
1: He's out working in the field, gets struck a third time. He, he even one time was inside of his house, just sitting there in his chair. And from oh. the way from the way they explained it, I mean, this guy is just unlucky as shit. Uh, The way they explain it, the lightning bolt finds its way through the electrical system into his house, ricochets off of this sort of uh, like a metal container or something, and then zaps him in his chair. What? I mean, how unlucky does that be for that to happen?
0: Do you think it's possible that he was a very negatively charged person?
1: You know, nothing surprises me. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing okay. it, it could be. It could be circumstances, wrong place, wrong time. It, it could be. I, I, I don't know, maybe he upset Zeus in some way and <laughs> Zeus is just like, screw you, man.
2: <laughs> maybe he
1: needed an exorcism.
0: P.S. Poor Roy Sullivan started to think that maybe there was a force out to get him and he started to fear death. Which would have happened to me after the first strike, let's be honest. But like around strike four, he was like, oh, shit, am I going to die? But Roy didn't die from a lightning strike. Sadly, he passed away from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Proof that even a powerful shock from the sky that could kill a herd of livestock can be less painful and deadly than mental health struggles. Just in case you needed another reason to be compassionate to fellow humans today. Let's get back to pulmonology. Talk to me a little bit about the different forms, because from what I understand, there's heat and ball and sprites and dry lightning. I don't know what any of those are. I just know the words.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, sprites. Well, first of all, there's several things. So sprites and elves and uh, there's other type of mythical creature names that come to it. Mm-hmm. Trolls. What these are, so sprites and L's and trolls, what these are is electromagnetic discharges. Uh, so mm-hmm. you have a lightning event and you're having a discharge of electricity and these create electromagnetic pulses. And so what a sprite or an L might be is the lightning itself actually discharges these electromagnetic discharges up above it. So into the next layer of the atmosphere. So mm-hmm. they happen above lightning events. And typically it's from positive lightning. So uh, positive light, you have positive lightning and negative lightning. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just, it's the type of attraction that there is. So negative lightning is a lot more common. It's when the negative charges connect with the positive charges on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and then positive lightning is a lot less common, but it's a lot more powerful. And that's when there's positive charges in the cloud connect with the negative charges on the ground. Okay. Um, and this just has to do with one is the positive lightning Usually, it's just proton based. And so A lot more dense than uh, than electrons, so they can pull up more electrons, and by doing that, you create more energy. Mm, Um, Okay. Yeah, and so it's typically after these really intense, high energy, positive lightning strikes that you will get things like uh, sprites or elves. And you know, sprites. Have you ever seen pictures? No. 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 I'll look it up though. Sprites—they look like jellyfish in the sky. Ah! Or. Yeah, or if you're—I don't know if anyone out there like is a Pokemon person, but they kind of look like tentacruels up there, <laughs> giant <laughs> tentacruels. <laughs> Pokemon, to me, at least, that's what I see.
0: So yes, they're called sprites and elves and gnomes and pixies and their upper atmosphere lightning, or what's called transient luminous events. So they look like disks or red spots at the top of clouds or blue jets are kind of like jellyfish ghosts and UFOs and rave lights. Also, who doesn't love a well-done backronym like Transient Red Optical Luminous Lineament? aka trolls. Only trolls don't like that. Also, a lot of folks asked about ball lightning, which has been described by one expert as a luminous sphere, most often the size of a small child's head. Sure, that's a unit of measurement. The United States won't adopt the metric system, but we will use standards like the size of a small child's head. But scientists still don't really understand what the deal is with ball lightning. Now, for a long time, up until the 1990s, these were just dismissed as like hallucinations. So, wow, we got a lot to learn. Future fulminologists, please figure it out. Thank you. Now, what about like dry lightning or heat lightning, the kind of lightning that we've had in California lately, that has been sparking fires:
1: yeah, dry lightning is it's basically just lightning with very, very minimal to no precipitation. so what happens is a storm comes through, like for instance, the one that we recently had, we we're getting a bunch of moisture dished off from that tropical storm that was down there in the south uh, east Pacific mm-hmm. shooting moisture like a laser gun into California. Pew, pew. And at the same time, it's actually really hot. So what happens is you get your typical thunderstorm buildup, but the precipitation evaporates before it gets to the ground. And that's when you see clouds that are called virga. Mm -hmm. And virga is just, just a formation. So it looks like stuff's coming out of the cloud, but then it evaporates. And you still get lightning at the same time because there's such a buildup of charge. Mm -hmm. going on up there in the atmosphere. Um, And the reason that's particularly dangerous, as we saw in California or other states uh, in the western U.S. might see, is that with that little precipitation, that means there's not a lot of water to come along with these lightning strikes. And if vegetation or fuels are extremely dry, then you get the potential for lightning-caused fires. Oof. Big events, like the one we just had where we had eleven thousand lightning strikes and this, <gasps> that caused hundreds of fires at the same time you know within two days yeah, uh, yeah. that's your that's your potential there
0: oof, eleven thousand lightning strikes I look this up it's that's real that's a real number and how hot is a lightning strike? I've read that it's potentially hotter than the sun
1: uh hotter than the surface of the sun, so oh. uh yeah, so it can reach up to like 50 to 60,000 degrees Fahrenheit.
2: Oh, my God. Crazy.
1: Yeah, it's freaking crazy. That it's How so hot. is that even possible? So <laughs> yeah, I know. That's um,
0: nuts. And so you've got that striking a dry hillside and it's just like a like tinderbox.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So those are one of the things I would look for in fire weather under uh, certain types of red flag conditions is the possibility of dry lightning.
0: Okay, we're going to get back to fires in a bit. But first, there are about 8 million lightning strikes a day on Earth. But where are they happening? And you mentioned the Western United States. And before you had mentioned, shout out, Florida, Ohio, great lightning. Why do some areas of the globe have more lightning and others don't or different types?
1: Uh, a lot of it has to do with just the amount of moisture that they're getting. So in these tropical zones, what we see is uh, there's a lot more moisture being pumped in by those warm uh, ocean currents. Mm-hmm. The warm ocean and moisture is a pretty good precursor to lightning because it's what helps forms those droplets. So in those those areas and those zones, uh, they're usually a lot warmer. So now you have the heat that is rising, uh, convection. Mm-hmm. So Uh, warm air is rising and it combines with that moisture to help produce uh, a sort of charge that's up there in in the atmosphere. And that's why they typically get a lot more lightning. Mm. Um, And it's just this constant flow and this constant pump of this warm air and this moisture and solar radiance too play a big factor in it. What is solar radiance? Uh, These are just the little particles that we get from the sun. It's the The energy that we receive from the sun. So the sun shoots out these photons and big beams of photons that get transported all the way through space onto Earth. With that, you have current. So the the flow of those particles is current, Mm -hmm. uh, which creates heat. And that right there is a source of energy. Um, So that's why solar is so big. It's the big differences in how the Earth is heated. By the sun and how it collects solar radiance that helps develop uh, certain pressure and wind conditions
0: oh okay and yeah. so you have that whole big bag of mixed factors and with the right conditions with the right convection and moisture and ions like that is why some areas are just more lightning prone
1: yeah yeah it's it's the climate of that of those particular areas mm-hmm. um, or mountain ranges are are another big one topography. So how the topography is laid out is is pretty big, too. And
0: um, what about if you're in the middle of a lightning storm and you're in your car? Are you safe because of the rubber tires or does it act like a Faraday cage? How does a Faraday cage even work? If
1: so. So typically, yeah, you typically are pretty safe in your car. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that uh, there's not a possibility of getting hit as our old friend Roy Sullivan yeah, understands no. and knows. <laughs> But typically you are a little bit safer because of that. But it doesn't mean that, you know, it's not going to find a a way of resistance to, to find its way through your car and hit you.
0: Just an audio note. Something was buzzing in the background and it sounds like lightning, but Chris and I have no idea what it was, to be honest. So just consider it part of the lightning vibe. Folks, it's not followed by thunder each time though, so don't worry. What about counting lightning and thunder? We've seen it in a million movies. You count, you can do a calculation, you can know how far away the storm is, if it's coming or going. Is that flim flam or is that real deal?
1: No, typically, uh, you actually kind of can. So the general rule is that uh, you see a lightning strike Mm -hmm. and you count, and every 5 seconds is about a mile. Okay. I used yeah, I used to I used to hear a lot that, you know, you count in the number of seconds you count is the number of miles away that the uh, the storm is or the lightning strikes are, but uh, it's about 5 seconds per mile. Okay. Um yeah, and so if you're outside or whatever, you want to know if it's safe to go outside, then you generally try and get to a point where you see lightning but don't hear any thunder.
0: Oh, good to know. So it's far enough yeah. away where it's not going to come and get
2: you.
1: Yeah, it's tough because a lot of people think, okay, well, you know, it's five miles away. Uh, but lightning travels very, very far. And, uh, you know, it, it can strike you from quite some distance.
0: How long do you think is a typical lightning bolt?
1: Um, most of them actually aren't that long. But, I mean, you can be several miles out and that thing will that thing'll find an area. Mm -hmm. if that area is is charged and ready to go for it.
0: Does it usually want to discharge or connect with um, a charge that's higher up? Like, is that why there's lightning rods or do trees get zapped a lot? And how does that kill cows under trees? Which I don't (laughs) know if that's a myth
1: too. It it can definitely kill animals. So the reason we have lightning rods or Uh, The reason that a very tall tree might be one of the worst spots to stand under, or isolated tall trees, is they're providing a path of least resistance. So when these storms come, these charges from the ground are able to kind of flow up into those places and connect with the lightning that's coming out of the atmosphere. Because they happen to be tall, the charges are able to meet a little bit earlier there. Mm -hmm. And if you happen to be the cow standing underneath it and, uh, those charges on the ground start flowing through areas or lightning decides that it doesn't want to hit that tree, Um, you're going to get a little spark that's going to go up one leg through the heart and down the other side. Wow. Yeah, they even had the crazy couple hundred reindeer, actually. I think it was Canada, done from from a lightning strike. Yeah, they caught a ton of them dead because it, it had just done that. It traveled, travels up one side, <gasps> goes right through the heart, travels down the other.
0: Oh, my gosh. I wonder if that's a painful death or if it's
1: really quick. Uh, I, I hope it's quick. I would say you could ask the reindeer, but let's not. <laughs> <laughs> not available
0: for comment. P.S. This lightning strike that killed over 300 reindeer was in Norway in 2016, and experts say that the lightning struck... And it was the current carried through the ground and up through the hooves that killed these cervids all at once. So what tends to happen to alive things like humans is that the jolt zips through the body and stops the heart, which is why CPR after a lightning strike can be life-saving. So we should all know how to do that, probably. And one adage is, when thunder roars, head indoors. You know, unless you want to risk being lightly toasted by the sky. I bet it smells like burned hair can oh, yeah. you Ugh. can you smell weather? are you good at that? Can you smell certain weather or is that also a myth?
1: um no, sometimes you can and it just it has to do with the breakdown of the bacteria I believe in, in the soil i uh and, and in the air I, mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. that chemical that you're smelling oh. let's say when a storm comes passing through
0: side note. If you are me and you like to huff the dirt post-rain, the smell is called petrichor, and it comes from bacteria that make a scent called geosmin, which I want to be my pen name. And if you're like, dang, smells so good, someone should bottle it and sell it, may I direct your attention to Etsy.com, which offers petrichor-scented oils. They have candles. People make incense. Did I just spend $8.22 for a small bottle of petrichor-scented oil that smells like, quote, a summer storm in a bottle, I did. I did. Also, we are about to get to listener questions. But before we do, we're going to hear about sponsors of the show who have some deals for you. Those deals make it possible for us to throw some cash at worthwhile nonprofits each episode. And this week, Chris asked that it goes to international relief teams whose mission is to alleviate the suffering caused by poverty and disaster around the globe from the forgotten corners of the world to right here at home by sending volunteer teams, relief supplies and other assistance to improve the lives of those who suffer most so you can donate and learn more about what they do at irteams.org. And we're also sending an extra donation to Chris's research teams at Westcats.com. This is a group of fire scientists aiming to be pioneers at the forefront of early detection and advanced warnings for forest fires. And Chris's work explores that. So cha ching. Keep doing good stuff y'all. Now you may hear about some sponsors who enable us to not freak out about giving away money every week. Ologies with Alley Ward is sponsored by Squarespace, and Squarespace has been part of my daily life for the last seven and a half years. Ologies might not exist without Squarespace. I had to make a website for this, and I was so intimidated. It took me over a year, and then one night I was like, you know what? I've heard about Squarespace. I'm going to try it, and now look at us. If you don't think you need a website, guess what? You probably do, especially if you're an academic. Have some place where all your papers are. People can contact you. Anyway, they have so many tools for entrepreneurs. They have Fluid Engine, which is this kind of next-generation website design system. It's from Squarespace. It's drag-and-drop technology. You can use it on desktop or mobile. They also have an asset library, so you can manage all of your files from this central hub, and then you can use them across the whole platform. They have professional website templates. They have designs for every category, every use case, no matter what you need a website for. Get a website. Start your business. Look, it worked for me. Ding. So head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com ologies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You could do it. You could do it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. So is my brain. Here's a thought experiment. Think of all the time that you spend just scrolling on things or not doing the things you wanna do. I know, time is the most valuable thing that you have. Oh boy, let me tell you I had to learn this over time. You know what helps? Therapy. Therapy can help you figure out what matters most to you and how to prioritize it so that you like your life more. And where I learned that was better help, because yes. I have been a client. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, I know how hard it is to get started. BetterHelp makes it very easy. It's entirely online, it's convenient, it's flexible. You take a quick questionnaire, they match you with a therapist. Instead of just Googling and trying to find someone with an opening, BetterHelp makes it very accessible and I like that. It's also more affordable than traditional therapy. And you can chat, you can text, you can do video calls, you can do phone calls. For some reason you are not vibing with your therapist, you can switch at any time, no extra cost, no drama. So let me tell you, Time is precious, figure out where you wanna spend yours. And you can learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. So that's betterhelp, hel com slash ologies. It's about time. Okay, here's how I like my clothes. I like them classic, I like them well-made, I like them comfortable, and I like them ethical, which is why I flipped when I first heard about Quince. So Quince partners directly with these top factories. So they cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings onto, obviously, you. They have these 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters that start at 50 bucks. They have organic cotton sweaters. They have washable silk tops. They even have 14 karat jewelry in case you are looking for a present maybe for yourself. So Quince items are priced like 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. And I like that their styles are well-made, well-cut, but also classic. I did not own a cashmere sweater before Quince. That was the kind of thing that I would splurge for for other people, but not myself. But I was like, you know what, Quince? I think I shall. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash ologies. You look amazing. How you doing on that D, that vitamin D? Could be better. I feel you. Some of us are coming out of a winter. I don't know how much outside time you get. I don't know how your vitamin D is dietarily, but I know a lot of people, including myself, especially women over 18, 97% of us not getting enough vitamin D from our diet. Ritual's like, how about I help you? They're a clinically backed multivitamin. So skeptics, here's a multivitamin that's like, yeah, we use science to formulate this. I think you're gonna like it. Ritual multivitamins are vegan. They're gluten and major allergen free. I also like that Ritual is a female founded B Corp. So they're doing good for the health of people and the planet. Ritual multivitamins are also gentle on an empty stomach. I like that when I open mine, they have kind of a minty essence. I've got ritual vitamins in my belly right now, to be honest. I take them every day. They have kind of a lava lamp look with oil and beads inside. I also have their melatonin caps at night when I need to go. Bye-bye, Zs. So no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. And get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash ologies. So start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. So that's ritual.com slash ologies for 20% off. All right. Questions from our loyal Patreon folks. Okay. I'm going to dive in to the lightning round, if you will. <laughs> Correct. And uh just whatever answers strike you. Go for Ew. it. Uh the worst the worst. Okay. So many patrons had so many questions, and I tried to group them. So first time question asker HR Bumka, as well as Liz Rupke, mckaylee Eggett, Lee, Zoe Jane, B. Wilson, first time question asker Allie Rail, Kyle Ebenstein, Haley Vanderwall, Don Zwart. Leah Petter, they all had similar questions. Number one, have you seen the movie Sweet Home Alabama?
2: Look at these. It's what
0: happens to sand when it's struck by lightning.
1: She's pulling
2: your dick.
0: No, really? I've seen it. You just have to dig it up. (laughs)
2: Uh,
0: Yeah. Do you know what this question is about? Is it the glass? Yes. Is that a true (laughs) thing? Like lightning on sand, what does that do? H.R. Bumgo wants to know.
1: Yeah, no. Um,. So that is true. Okay. Um, It's what happens is uh, typically these beaches are high in a certain type of material. Um, Silica comes to mind. Mm -hmm. And what it does is the energy from the lightning fuses uh, sand to this material. Um, and then you create things out of it.
0: When you saw that movie, were you already into lightning and fire or were you just like a like a braces face teen being like Reese Witherspoon? What a babe.
1: <laughs> yeah, kind of. I honestly was not on the route to, to get involved in lightning as I was. It was kind of like, oh, sweet on Alabama. All right. <laughs> yeah, Reese Witherspoon. This is cool. <laughs> uh, okay, so
0: many people thought that maybe that was not even real. So you've changed their worlds. Um, okay, this next question was asked by Jessica Chamberlain, Allie Corin, Corey Navis, Christian Mahaney, Nathan Wilgaroth, Ruby Johnstone, M, and first time question asker Tamina Schalls. Uh, Tamina had so many questions, but wanted to know Every all of these people wanted to know how dangerous is it to shower or use the computer? during a thunderstorm, is it true that you shouldn't use the shower when it is thundering and lightning?
1: Yeah. I mean, a, a good rule of being outside is get the heck out of the pool right. um, or the lake or the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're inside for proper lightning safety measures, <laughs> you know, you kind of want to do the same thing. <laughs> get away from anything that's electrically circuited. Uh, or water as best as you can because that's just electrical charges are going to find those channels to travel through because it's easy for it to travel through. Um, so you know, do your best. I probably would. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who're like, "Ooh, a lightning storm! I gotta go take a shower," but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but uh, <laughs> it can be dangerous. You're better off just not being there. Okay. In the shower or next to any sort of electrical. Circuitry.
0: Okay, good to know. So just to uh, take a load off take a gander lay low Good yeah. to know um, Jesse Markowitz Jake Schuyler Alexander Brown and Jess Swan wanted to know is there lightning on other planets?
1: <clears throat> oh, absolutely there is um, Yeah, it's it's not something that I've really dove into but Jupiter gets a ton of lightning um, yeah, crazy. Yeah. I mean, the dang thing's got the storm the size of, size of another planet on it. Um, yeah. So it's going to produce a lot of lightning. Um, and it's very similar processes that happens here on Earth, I believe.
0: Okay, just a side note. I know that Jupiter has a huge, ruddy beauty mark that is really just a whirl of meteorological chaos. But I was like, what is that big red spot called? I feel like I know it, but I can't remember it. So I looked it up, and it's called... The Great Red Spot—that's like if you named your firstborn child the baby thing. It's clear, it's bold, it's a choice.
1: And then Saturn is kind of another big one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure someone out there is is studying, um, space lightning, and you know sees all kinds of cool crap. But yeah, I do know that there is lightning on other planets. You know, there's Ooh. similar processes between electrical charges. It's the universal. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to have to
0: find an fulminologist. There's got to be one out there. Somebody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's got
1: to be somebody out there.
0: Somewhere. <laughs> uh, let's see. First time question asker, Gianna McLean, Gabriel Friesen. First time question asker, Hope. All wanted to know. So in Hope's words, so when people get struck by lightning, they get those scars that look
1: like lightning. So what causes those? Have you seen those? <clears throat> uh, you know, that'd probably be someone more in tune to dealing with injuries and medical. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how those scars are formed. I know Harry Potter got his yeah. from, uh, you know, <laughs> from a very high energy concentrated spell. Yes. Um, I don't recommend it. Nope. But uh, exactly what's going on inside of the body that causes it uh, to get those specific scars, I'm not sure.
0: Okay. Of course I look this up. And these raised marks are called Lichtenberg figures. And they're caused by blood vessels exploding from the heat and the electric discharge of those branching fractally patterns of the lightning. And they look, first and foremost, very ouchy. And secondly, they're gorgeous. They're weirdly so pretty. Also painful. If you go to Instagram.com slash ologies this week, I will treat you to a gallery. Oh, <gasps> The scars. The blisters the intrigue do human beings walk around with a certain electrical charge um
1: they can there's a yeah. i mean there's uh, our bodies are transporting electrons and stuff all the time mm-hmm. and our brains are constantly sending out and receiving electrical signals
0: okay if you've ever touched something and gotten like a little zip 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 spark congrats that's pretty much mini lightning but let's talk about even bigger effects like giant mind-blowing ones, like Big
1: Bang scale effects. These electromagnetic discharges from lightning mm-hmm. uh, have actually been shown to create antimatter, which is pretty <gasps> freaking cool. What? Um, so, yeah. So these, these charges uh, produce really high, um, strong gamma rays and x-rays, so really high frequencies, and the gamma rays react with the air that's around it, Mm-hmm. And produce positrons. Positron prime. Oh, my yeah, God. I like to think of it as <laughs> if it was a transformer, but it creates positrons, which are uh kind of the antimatter version of electrons. And so what happens is after they produce these and they run around and these uh gamma rays are so much energy they knock the neutrons out of nitrogen. And that unstable nitrogen then releases the positrons. Um And then eventually, you know, they'll end up finding an electron, collide with it, and they annihilate each other. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. So imagine imagine you just walking around on the street and all of a sudden uh, an anti-alley comes up and you guys bump (gasps) into each other and then you're just gone and you annihilate each other.
2: Is that
0: possible on, (laughs) is it possible to look at how that happens with lightning and like figure out how to do that on Earth?
1: I don't. I don't know. Bizarre. Superman had some trouble with Bizarro Superman, so I'm not sure. That- <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's something that's really cool. These uh, these researchers in Japan were actually the ones who's like, yeah, it creates antimatter, freaking positrons.
0: Oh my god, that's amazing! And a bunch of listeners had a really good question: Stephen Clark, Sid Gopkajar, Adam Weaver, Haley Vandewall, Katie Coast, Nicole Wackery, Ross Owen Qualls, and Hugh Plummer all wanted to know is capturing lightning a viable energy source?
1: Oh man, this is crazy, right? This is okay. Okay, so <clears throat> the thing is that lightning produces so much electricity, there's so much energy there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking somewhere between like hundreds to a billion volts of current possible there. And so my research associate and I have actually kind of dove into this. And what, what you would have to do is you would have to find a way of putting up some sort of rod, or at least our idea, nobody steal this because we're working <laughs> on it, <laughs> <laughs> is you take something and right as the lighting storm is about to happen, you give it a really strong charge so that it has the highest charge of anything out there. So lightning essentially is attracted to this thing. You know, you're really very attractive. Maybe it looks like a tree. And <laughs> and so when lightning strikes it, what you would have to do is you'd have to have a really, really strong negatively charged base so that it helps kind of contain and disseminate uh, some of that energy. But at the same time, you would have to maybe keep that energy flowing um, so that 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 you would get is maybe direct current and you would have to keep that current flowing. And what you would probably have to do is it would have to go into some sort of station where it's able to be broken up or able to be chopped up and then distributed to other parts um, mm-hmm. because you don't want a million volts going to people's homes. Right. Um, (laughs) that's about a million (laughs) times more, (laughs) more voltage than, than you, (laughs) than comes out of your little electric socket there. (laughs) Um, so is it possible? Ah, man, it's, it's really tough. I know Tesla, the old, old Nikola Tesla, that guy, Mm -hmm. he, uh, eh, he was kind of working on it. At least he was thinking about it. So that's what, that's what he was working on when he was there in Colorado, Mm-hmm. And radio way. It's just you're sending frequencies back and forth.
0: I had no idea that there were frequencies involved. I, yeah. I do remember that he was uh, in love with a pigeon, which I know that there was so much more to his story. But
1: um, <laughs> is that what you got out of his whole <laughs> yeah, career? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm the worst. What was the pigeon's name? That... I don't
0: know. He was so in love, though. And I really felt for him. Fred. <laughs> I don't know. I really felt for him. I know he did so much, but that part I really connected with. I was like, I get it. That pigeon's never going to love you. Okay. Just because I know that we're all wondering and we all want to name something after it. This pigeon's name was not Fred. It was a lady pigeon, a brilliant white pigeon with gray tips at the end of its wings. And Tesla once said, quote, I loved that pigeon as a man loves a woman and she loved me. As long as I had her, there was a purpose to my life. So it was requited that changes everything. Although it did make a final visit to him in his hotel room in 1922. And by his account, her eyes shone a brilliant burning white light. And it was a message that she was dying. And he said he knew at that moment that his life's work, which involved huge history-changing accomplishments in electricity and plasma and radio waves. He knew at that moment his work was over, but he also remained celibate and never married ever, partly because he thought it would interfere with those accomplishments. And you know what they say, doves before loves. Okay. Sean Johnson wants to know, can a bolt of lightning actually produce 1.1 gigawatts of power?
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, That's great. I'm assuming he's referring to the old Old back to the future. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Old
0: Doc Brown.
1: Um, yeah, I, I love that.
0: 1.21
2: gigawatts. Wait, Scott. What the hell is a gigawatt?
1: Not sure if it's that much or not. Yeah. I I think, give me a second here.
0: Yeah, are you going to but... do some back of the envelope calculations?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: calculus is happening
1: uh yeah it's uh yeah they could produce 1.21 uh gigawatts
0: really yeah nice i yeah. can't believe we actually got to ask a there's, lightning there's, scientist i mean
1: there's there's obviously a range of gigawatts that lightning produces but mm-hmm. yeah i think it could be it's in there
0: wow okay we finally know that. That's amazing. All right. If you're mad at me right now because I said gigawatts and not gigawatts, please blame Back to the Future writers Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, who thought gigawatts were pronounced gigawatts. And so they spelled it with a J in their script and they shot the whole movie. And then afterward, they're like, oh, it's gigawatts. People didn't have Google. Also, pronouncing it with the J sound like gigawatts is technically the very old method of speaking this word. So it is likely that the Back to the Future writers heard an older recording or a professor use the softer J sound, and that's why they spelled it wrong. And that's why a lot of us say it wrong. It's like, uh, if only we could ask the person who named Gigawatts how they wanted it pronounced. Like we can the creator of the GIF, who says it's pronounced GIF. And don't at me. I'm your internet dad. How dare you? Okay, a few patrons wanted to know about flaming spinnies such as first-time question askers Rachel Noble, Alyssa Rose, and... Jamie Almodovar, first time asking a question. Are fire tornadoes a real thing? How often do
1: they occur, if so? Oh, shit. I love this question. <laughs> fire tornadoes. Spinning, rotating, convective vortexes of terror. Oh, now, um, <laughs> so, uh So, we're going to... To break it down a little bit here. Okay. And um, a true fire tornado has a very specific definition. Um, of course, the media loves the term fire tornado or fire NATO because it sounds a lot more badass than fire whirl. Right. Um, honestly, I mean, come on. <laughs> fire <laughs> the more, whirl? The only thing more badass than a fire tornado would be a fire sharknado (laughs) and we haven't seen those yet but i can't wait until that happens um so most of the time what you're seeing are fire whirls. there are also fire devils which are the equivalent of a dust devil just Mm -hmm. a fire um but most of what you see out there in fires are either fire whirls, uh, which are on the smaller end or convective um rotating vortex Mm -hmm. um you know in meteorology or in any sort of weather stuff if it's got the name vortex in it it's usually really cool okay <laughs> um so so we love to we love to call things vortex um yeah uh so a true fire tornado there's actually only been a couple maybe maybe 3 that we've been able to observe at least since we've had the technology and capabilities to do so mhm um so in order for it to be a true fire tornado, you uh, have to have something that's rotating violently Yikes! and it has to be connected to the ground and to a cloud. So to some sort of cumulus cloud, whether it's a cumulus formation in the sky or a thunderhead or a pyrocumulus.
0: There was a nearby canine who crashed our recording and was very excited to chime in about this. So when you hear it, just pretend this conversation is like happen on a country porch on a swing with your favorite lightning buddy. This is just ambience.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, cloud up above. And that has to have some sort of rotation as well. Uh, most of the quote unquote what people call fire tornadoes aren't typically connected to that cumulus cloud up there in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So then it's usually just the fire whirl. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, so if we're going by the, the true definition of a fire tornado, in other words, a tornado... As defined um, as rotating, violently rotating column of air that is connected to the ground and to the cloud, only one that is made from fire. Uh, There really has only been a couple that we know of or have been able to see the one I'm sure you probably heard all about the one that happened in the Loyalton fire just recently.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. So just to refresh your memory, this was August 15th, 2020, near Hallelujah Junction in California by the Nevada border northwest of Reno. And Tasha Farrell, aka that one girl Tasha on Twitter, captured video of the dry golden chaparral of the Sierras with this raging brush fire and a column of spiraling smoke in the middle. Reaction all over the world was a really unifying, what the fuck,
1: 2020? Yeah, that one actually true fire tornado. And the cool thing about that is even though they might have had a little bit of warning ahead of time, the National Weather Service was able to issue a tornado warning. And i pretty sure that's never been done before because fire tornadoes or fire whirls are extremely difficult to predict. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's kind of a stepping stone in the cool science of, of fire behavior and fire tornadoes uh, is the fact that the National Weather Service was actually able to issue a tornado warning for that particular event, which is really cool.
0: That kind of dovetails into uh, a first time question. asker, Val Lucas wanted to know, how do the lightning tracker maps update so fast, like the flash out the window and then the dot popping up on the map or instantaneous? So is technology getting better to track this stuff?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And it's really cool. I mean, it's come a long way. I mean, before you used to not be able to get lightning updates for every uh, so many minutes or so or hours. And now uh, a lightning map will update every 15 seconds. How do they do that? where they do that. It's really cool. I mean, so when lightning strikes give out these uh, electromagnetic pulses, the satellite systems are able to pick up on those. Oh, Um, yeah, like pretty much instantaneously almost. So then Mm -hmm. it just gets sent back down to, uh, you know, to whatever modeling system is being used and technology is great. Computer (laughs) programmers are even better and they're able to make this stuff work in uh, close to real time.
0: Oh, Um Katie Coast, who does a lot of transcription for us and is amazing, um, says it bothers me that they call Thor the god of thunder because that's a sound, right? He should be the god of lightning. Wants to know, does that bug you, too?
1: <laughs> I I think he's badass either way. Okay. Um, but yes, he should be Thor, god of lightning, because you don't have thunder without lightning. Right. Uh, so... Yeah, he, he really should be the god of lightning. You know what? That's a good point, Katie. That's, yeah. Huh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've never really sat there and picked <laughs> picked it apart and threw a fit because of it. But uh, now that I think of it, yeah, he should be the god of lightning. Why not? It's lightning that he summons and uses. Right? are know, you he's- glad that you have
0: something to be
1: mad about? <laughs> yeah. He's not going around going, take that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm really loud. I'm really loud, yeah, and that's my yeah. power. <laughs> Actually, we did have a few people ask. Emily A wants to know Is it true that thunder is the sound of lightning? And uh, a few other people wanted to know First time question askers and boot Quakers, Luna Lowry and Kate H. Why it's so scary. Why is thunder scary? Any idea? Is it a certain <laughs> like frequency or is it just because it's so loud?
1: Well, it would be perception, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> some might find it scary. I would find it extremely fascinating mm-hmm. and joyous, somewhat of an adrenaline rush at, at certain moments. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thunder is the sound of lightning because without lightning, you don't have thunder, kind of like we talked about. And because lightning... There's so much energy and so much heat that is created by lightning that energy the air around it cannot expand fast enough uh, so pressure pff, is shot out around these areas of where lightning strike has just gone down and uh, produces a shock wave and that shock wave becomes a sound wave and so that's what we hear as thunder. It can be really scary because the ground is shaking, the air is rumbling. It sounds like a war zone out there sometimes. You have no idea when that lightning strike is going to happen or where it's going to happen. So you run for your life and hide in a corner under the bed or something like that and just wait for it to get over. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess it could be scary.
2: (laughs) I
0: heard heard a little dog in the background. Uh, How does that
1: dog do with lightning and thunder? That is my neighbor's dog.
2: Okay. So you're and like, I don't know.
1: <laughs> it comes out. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, it's a little one, so I'm assuming it doesn't do too good. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Even big ones, man. I used to have a dog that ooh, did not like it.
0: Hence, thunder shirts or pressure garments for pups and people alike. Who knew that consistent, gentle pressure like a hug releases anxiety-soothing hormones? Well... Scientists and also people, but not makers of girdles. You just you went too far with those. Reel it in a little. A bunch of people, Sam Healy, first time question asker, JJ Pierce, Chris Moore, first-time question asker, Rachel Dashiel, and Asia Yeager wanted to know about hair standing up during a thunderstorm. And uh Sam says Uh, my shoulder length hair was standing completely on end once when I was standing in a field during a thunderstorm. And I found out later that was not a good sign. I was 14. So forgive (laughs) my ignorance. But if you're around something dangerous, like a lightning storm, or does your hair just statically kind of do that?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a reaction to the static that's in the atmosphere. So what's happening during a lightning event is you're producing something that's electric and magnetic. and there's uh, electrostatic that's happening before these lightning strikes are coming or as the storm is approaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know this because part of what we do is we go out there with um, something that reads electromagnetism. Dude, there's no electricity in here. We shouldn't be getting any EMF. Not to try and find ghosts or anything <laughs> or spirits, but to try and <laughs> find and, and look at the magnetic properties of, of a storm that comes through or a lightning event. And you can see that the EM meter, you know, fluctuates a lot. I mean, we'll hit high note at uh, at the time that a storm's overhead. So uh, if there's a storm approaching, uh, especially if there's that much buildup of an electrical charge, the static in the atmosphere, yeah, your hairs are going to rise right on up, just like the old, uh, you know, rub a balloon on the carpet, put on your head and watch your hair go all over the place.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, does that mean you should run for cover somewhere preferably not under a big tree that's by itself
1: yeah you know unless those are just your spidey senses tingling a little bit um i i'd probably you know move because it's definitely a sign that there's something electrically going on in the atmosphere and Mm -hmm. you don't want to be around when those when those uh lightning strikes come down
0: now some people will would want to go out in a lightning storm on purpose. And Chiang Nguyen wants to know, how true is the Ben Franklin story? The key, the kite, is it all bullshit?
1: No, this actually happened. So lucky enough for you, I went back <laughs> and read all the original letters that Ben Franklin sent, was sending to his colleague what? about the experiments he was doing with electricity. And uh, actually, one of my favorite quotes ever is from one of those.
0: Okay, quick aside. Chris sent this Ben Franklin passage to me later, and it was written around April 1749. And it reads quote, If they are driven by winds against mountains, those mountains being less electrified attract them. If much loaded, the electrical fire is at once taken from the whole cloud, and in leaving it, flashes brightly and cracks loudly. And from what I gather, Franklin also sometimes referred to lightning storms or lightning bolts as thunder gusts which honestly is like an aces term for flatulence anyway
1: but yeah he was so he basically was just trying to show how electricity works and how you get a separation of charges and you get a build up of static and he went okay well hey guess what there's electricity in the atmosphere there's electricity in the sky so in order to show this experiment he goes out and uh throw something up there, something that he knows is going to attract the electrical charges that are in the sky. Um, Kite is a perfect thing for that. And uh, lo and behold, he shows, hey, there is electricity up there.
0: There are several people who wrote in, this boggled me, saying that a lot of people in their family had been hit. Renee of David and Renee's Woodworking and Marty Goodwin and May. May is a first-time question asker, and so are Renee and David. I'll read May's question. OMG, exclamation, exclamation point. So my partner and my brother and I were all struck by lightning at the same time while fishing. (coughs) I know, all unharmed. I know. I'm wondering about what things people who survive being struck by lightning may experience, like any (laughs) long-term medical side effects, but PS I found out later that my mom and her brother were struck at the same time and Their grandfather and his sister were struck at the same time and then Marty Goodwin says my family is um, prone to attracting lightning I guess two members of their family have been struck one fatally and then Renee and David said that multiple people on the mom's side of the family have all been struck by lightning and lived what the hell's
1: going on? What in the hell? I can't believe there's that many listeners that know <laughs> <I> <laughs> or know. have experience with this. I, I haven't met anybody yet who's actually been struck. Holy crap. I mean, oh, right? Oh, my gosh. I mean, the people who, who are struck at the same time, mm-hmm. okay, obviously they're, well, I guess maybe not obviously. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but they're in and undergoing the same electrical experience at the same time. So just like the cows in a field or just like the reindeer, they're in an area that is highly charged and that charge wants to try and neutralize itself. So it's going to try and find a path that it can extend itself through. The fact that there were multiple people in an area during the same event that all got struck isn't too surprising. Why it's happening to some people's family members more, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that's a a really good question. I, I... I would probably start to question it myself.
0: <laughs> yeah. I would be like, I guess we're cursed.
1: <laughs> yeah. Someone,
0: there's an oracle, someone <laughs> oh, pissed Jesus. off a goblin. I don't know. I'll look into it. Okay. You are in no way cursed. 100% JK, JK, JK. You are exciting and special because you just impressed a professional fulminologist, which I imagine is hard to do. Also, I looked for any scientific evidence that getting struck by lightning could possibly run in families or was genetic. And honestly, the only thing I could come up with is that maybe it's hereditary to just enjoy the outdoors. And one commenter on a Quora discussion on the matter, who is not a lightning expert, mind you, said, quote, the idea that some people have some mysterious trait that somehow attracts lightning is nonsense, a myth balderdash and hogwash, end quote. Okay. Impressed by the vocab, tone's a little salty. However, really, what the hell does anyone know? Scientists used to explain bird migration by confidently saying that during the winter, all the birds just went and hung out on the moon. We don't know anything. We're all such stupid babies, even scientists. They're just trying to figure it out. It's beautiful. Okay, let's keep this knowledge fire a-raging. Okay, a few people, Madeline Lewis and Mark Chavez, Madeline Lewis, first time question asker, want to know about volcanic lightning or wildfire smoke inducing lightning.
1: <clears throat> Does that happen? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So they they kind of have similar components to them. Um, so they're called uh, they're pyrocumulus clouds, which are the cumulus clouds that are formed by fire or by lightning. And then they can later evolve sometimes if enough heat... And moisture and is being pumped into them to create pyrocumulonimbus clouds, And are the ones that produce lightning. Um, so what you have is during a fire especially, is fires burning and it's releasing a lot of energy through heat and moisture. Um, so much energy and so much heat and you see this more often on really really hot fires that are burning really really hot we get something called pyroconvection which is eventually that heat and that moisture starts to rise because hot air rises Um, it mixes with the cooler air and kind of like a typical thunderstorm as it arises it starts to condense and it starts to form cumulus clouds or pyrocumulus clouds and the, the crazy thing is that the updrafts of this hot air rising, the updrafts of these suckers can reach like up to 100 miles per hour.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah. So there's just there's so much going in there. So, if the fire continuously pumping that heat and that moisture into these cumulus clouds, they keep growing and growing and growing. And you get more vertical movement until eventually a pyrocumulonimbus cloud is formed, and then you start to get kind of that charge, the charge separation, you get the banging around of those those particles up there produced from the ash and from the smoke that allow the moisture to kind of condense on them, which then helps create the passing of charges like we talked about. You'll get lightning from that or you can get lightning from that. Ooh. And it's very similar kind of with volcanoes because volcanoes, so much heat and they're releasing all that gas. And the ash material creating these really dense smoke plumes. They start to create a static uh, ionization, in a sense, and you get all these charged particles ready to go, you know, all happy and excited. An mm-hmm. adrenaline rush for them again, and uh, they can produce lightning. Ooh. So it's really cool. Yeah, pictures of volcanic lightning are actually really sick. Uh, oh, man. I don't know if if you or anybody out there listening has ever seen pictures of volcanic lightning. If you haven't, look it up. because. Ugh. Yeah, it's hella sick. It's hella, (laughs) hella sick, bro. (laughs) (laughs) The most Northern California sentence you could say.
0: I love it. (laughs) I looked it up and it's true. Volcanic lightning pictures are hella sweet. And they look like if a mountain had a midlife crisis and decided to become a heavy metal disco, like smoke machine, strobe lights, danger. Like if you looked through the plumes of ash, there has got to be a Yeti in there doing a guitar solo. I have just a couple more questions from listeners because I know I'm just I literally we could go on for hours. OK, Elizabeth Edwards and Rachel and Maria Joravavia, uh, Elizabeth, Rachel, both first time question askers, wanted to know a little bit more about like what percentage of wildfires are caused by lightning strikes globally. And also, is are these wildfires changing because of climate change? And should we be using more indigenous land management to kind of prevent the
1: big burns? Uh, I've been waiting for a question like this. Ha ha. <laughs> yep, we know climate's going to come into it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure exactly what the global statistics are. Mm-hmm. Um, in the U.S., I know uh, roughly 80 to 90 percent of fires are caused by humans. Um, and then the other percent caused by lightning. So 10 to 20%, but that also depends on the region you're in. So, you know, some areas of the Southwest or say Alaska might, or Montana or Idaho might have a lot more lightning-caused fires or a greater percentage of lightning-caused fires than other places. Australia too, they get quite a few lightning-caused fires. And you look at places like Australia or Alaska, you know, it's not uncommon for them to have kind of like what we had here. Um, you know, a hundred lightning-caused fires within a twenty-four-hour period. Oof! But overall, human-caused fires uh, are kind of the the big one. Yeah. And we actually don't mind lightning-caused fires unless they're during events such as the one that we just had here in California, or unless it's a fire itself producing some sort of lightning activity because a lot of the the lightning cause fires that happens tend to happen in remote areas where we're trying to get around to this okay if it's happening in an area far off somewhere in the mountains let it burn let it let it ravage the fuel and take over
0: so Chris says that lightning caused fires really become an issue when they're related to an event like the one we had recently here in California, where there were hundreds of them at once, which with new weather patterns and droughts and warmer, drier weather may happen more often.
1: Yeah. So climate change is one of the big issues, uh, obviously, as we treat into fires and and even the possibility of more lightning And landing-caused fires because uh, climate change or global warming brings more extremes. And we might see more extremes in heat during summer times in certain states of the western U.S. And more heat is not a good scenario for fire because that also brings lower humidities. And fire likes to burn in high heat and low humidity. Uh, And we're also starting to see some really extreme wind events that we typically haven't Mm -hmm. seen before haven't recognized before i mean some places during these fire events you know you'll see gusts of wind up to like 80 miles per hour and you're just like holy shit how do you even do something with that yeah you know and you don't that's the thing is you get the hell out of the way and let the fire kind of go and we're just we're not used to to this kind of change yet and uh, unfortunately we're, we're also in a place here in california specifically where you get typically You get rain during uh, winter seasons, and then fuel and vegetation grows, and it gets extremely hot and dry in the summertime, and then that vegetation grows out, so there's a lot more fuel for there to burn. Uh, Well, at the same time, you get these extreme... Uh, drought conditions that a lot of places are experiencing, and that's not good because then you don't get the rain to help the fuel moisture levels. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of fighting a losing game as things start to change here, and we see this positive feedback loop with climate change. Not only that, but the Arctic, the Arctic Circle. Mm-hmm. If you or any of your followers, any of you guys out there, saw the Arctic Circle reaching above a hundred degrees this year, you know, and we're starting wow. to see more and more fires burning out there. And so, yeah, there's just there's a lot that has to be taken in. There's a lot that needs to be studied. Of course, we cannot tie one single event or one single fire to climate change, but we can step back and look at the overall factors that made it possible. That yes, there is there is something within climate change that is adding to the extreme offense that we're seeing. And if things are burning hotter then you're going to see more and stronger fire behavior. You're going to see more extreme fire behavior. Yeah, I mean the future fire research, there's going to be so much research that that's going to be cool to do in the arctic areas from unfortunate consequences.
2: Yeah. So um,
0: So this research is important and you should get some dollar bills for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, everybody should. <laughs> yeah. Something that is also very very important in research is you can throw all the money at it you want you can get uh all the answers and collect all the data you want to and it's great to have that knowledge because it might lead to something in the future but if some of that knowledge isn't implemented at the policy level then you have a lot tougher time Mm, for sure you know with with what's going on and, and trying to get Everybody, the local, the state, the federal and the indigenous people all on the same page to work together is, is, is tough. And when things change because of climate change, global warming uh, makes it even tougher. So.
0: And uh, and so when it comes to voting, think about which representatives might give more of a darn about it
1: yeah you know it's it's <laughs> it's it's always tough but if if you're looking at something as as big as climate change yeah you know find find the people who are who are going after it and you know try and get there get out there and and vote so maybe they can help do something and you know the the fire industry has has been undergoing a really big culture shift mm-hmm the past so many years and that's because of probably a lot of of you and, and your listeners have noticed that you're starting to hear more and more about prescribed and controlled burns and forest thinning and indigenous or cultural burning mm-hmm. and that is because uh, we do need it yep it's definitely become a problem especially here in california we have some serious land management issues. And mm. a lot of these reasons that we might get some of these mega fires or big fires is because there's such a buildup of fuel or vegetation growth that these fires are just they're able to burn hotter and they're consuming more and there's there's more energy to be released by them, so you get more extreme fire behavior coupled with the wind events that are happening. And So cultural burns, along with prescribed burns, is kind of a way to kind of help manage the forest so that we take the process of burning and forest restoration and are able to bring it, I guess, more in a sense of of our control. So we would rather perform prescribed or cultural burns, which burn rangeland and forested areas at a lower, more of a moderate intensity Mm -hmm. um, so that they can regrow, so that... Uh, wildlife can come back to areas so that um, streams and, and rivers have a chance to reflow so that fish can spawn and, and all this sort of stuff. So we would rather have that and we would rather be able to kind of help dictate where that is occurring than big buildup and large fires happening that are very high intensity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because those are the ones that do more damage and those are the ones we're trying to get away from. Indigenous and cultural burning is, is something we really want to do a lot more of because it's something that they had been doing for a long time and, and have down themselves. And not only because preventing them from doing so can be culturally repressive, mm-hmm. but the fact that they, they know what they're doing because they've been doing it for a while uh, really helps. And there's a lot that can be learned from the way that they manage the forest and manage their land. Uh, in order to do a restorative practices. What if we just
0: raked the forest like they do in Europe? Can't you just rake the forest?
1: Sweep up the forest? got to take care of the floors. You know, the floors of the forest very important. <laughs> yeah, you know, you could try. It can take a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, you know, whatever. We'll <laughs>
0: <laughs> like you're just going to rake them. Raking the forest. Super simple. Kind of just like Marie condoing the linen closet. Clean it up. Shame on California for not sweeping the 33 million acres of thick vegetation on forested lands. P.S. The U.S. is 56% woods, according to the 2016 Forest Inventory and Analysis Program of the U.S. Department of Agriculture Forest Service. So grab those brooms and garbage bags. It's our fault. Actually, it kind of is. Since North American colonization and the genocide of indigenous people, ecosystems have suffered a bunch from the lack of indigenous fire stewardship, also called cultural burning. And this is a huge, huge, rich, topic historically currently which we're going to cover in a future wildlife ecology episode but for now you can seek out information like kcet has a series called tending the wild they have a whole episode on cultural burning i myself cannot wait to talk to an expert in this and hear about the heroes who are fighting for this repressed practice now on the topic of that brooke wants to know what kind of superpowers will i get when i am struck by lightning what are we looking at
1: <laughs> i i don't condone it. Um, <laughs> I I would say you're most likely not going to get them. Yeah. Of course, we see this in movies and stuff all the time. Yeah. Uh, hasn't stopped me from going out during lightning storms. <laughs> to get it? But uh, I mean, the Flash, lightning, yeah. yeah, really fast, extremely high metabolism, and healing rate, mm-hmm. can throw bolts of lightning. Damn,
0: good deal. <clears throat> Any movies get lightning right?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, well, here's the thing. Yeah. There's every movie that you see that's about some sort of weather event Mm -hmm. or geologic event takes it to the most extreme you could ever, (laughs) you could ever imagine. Right. So the scenarios that they paint in those movies, are they realistic? No. But my favorite description of lightning is actually from the movie Frankenwingy. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw that. It's the Disney movie, Frankenweenie. and, and familiar. <laughs> it's towards the beginning of the movie, and the kids are in class, and the teacher is describing how lightning works.
0: Please enjoy this clip from Tim Burton's 2012 stop-motion supernatural horror comedy film about a corpse dog.
1: Lightning is simply electricity. The cloud is angry, yes, making storms. All the electrons are saying, I am leaving you. I go to the land of opportunity. The
2: ground says, yes, we need electrons trained in science, just like you. Come, come, welcome. So both sides start to build a ladder.
1: And the kids are just frightened to death of this (laughs) because of the way he's explaining it. But I really love the way that he describes it and the way he describes the process of, Electrons trying to get back to the motherland. <laughs> of all the movies, that's probably my favorite use of lightning is, is uh Frankenweenie.
0: <laughs> Frankenweenie. Oh, I'm
1: putting it in. He does not see the invisible ladders when the two ladders meet.
2: Boom! The circuit is complete.
0: Oh yeah. my god. Um yeah. last listener question: John Worster, Ira Gray, Hannah Quist, Egget, Eggett, and first type question asker, Tiffany Rosales want to know. Fact or flim flam? Lightning doesn't strike the same spot twice. Uh,
1: um. Well, in general, it can strike the same place twice.
2: Right. It what that? lightning
1: rods? Right. Depends on how small of a scale you want to get. I mean, when these <laughs> <laughs> when lightning strikes the ground, you know, you're talking about electrons and protons connecting things that are tiny, 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 tiny. So, if you want to get down to the microscopic scale. Maybe it doesn't strike the same place twice, but generally, yeah, it can strike the same place twice. Ah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, ab- absolutely. I guess it's de- how you define the same place.
0: Yeah. Get into <clears throat> the little, little, the tiny, tiny, <clears throat> tiny details. Um, okay. Questions I always ask at the end. What sucks the most about lightning? What do you hate the most
1: about your job? What just, what's like the... <sighs> Uh, it would probably be trying to, uh, trying to get people to realize that the research we're doing with lightning is more important than the other research out there, in, in meteorology and fire weather, mm-hmm. uh, in order to get the funding for it because it's it's not easy. So, of of course, everything science comes down to how much money can you get for it? Yeah, can you, can you do the research itself?
0: What is your favorite thing about your work or about lightning or what keeps you just gives you butterflies?
1: I would have to say just the, the fascination of it, mm-hmm. the fascination of trying to understand lightning in itself, trying to get out there and do the research, knowing that there are so many questions to be answered mm-hmm. and seeing lightning happen. And knowing that at some point we can contribute something to this knowledge base is very exciting in itself. And the Mm -hmm. fact that we're not there yet, and the fact that there is more to do. I mean, right now we're at a point where our models can get better. They can always get better. And so knowing that they can always get better and we don't have things nailed down specifically and seeing how things are constantly changing, and seeing how it's impacting society is is a big motivational factor because we know what's at risk we know what changes might be coming about. We know that they may not be good um, and so uh, we have a real opportunity to do something we have a real opportunity to to help an industry seek some sort of answers, and get out there and look at fire tornadoes and fire worlds. We get to see lightning storms shoot down from the sky. We get to go out there during some of these storm events, which I know, told people you shouldn't do but you uh, mm-hmm. get to go out there during some of these storm events and just fucking blow right through them <laughs> you know and and just get inundated with the rain and you know and how these storms come uh so so that in itself even though that is a very small portion of what we're actually doing because a lot of it mm-hmm. is sitting down and analyzing shit
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's those little bits and that field work that's extremely, extremely exciting. Mm-hmm. That's part of kind of what got you into it, I'm sure, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh,
0: uh, I mean, what is more exciting than something that is 1.1 gigawatts? 1.1, yeah. How many? Whatever. Point two one. One point two one. Sorry, gigawatts. On. Hotter than the sun seemingly random, but science can explain it. I mean, that's like, what's more exciting than like bolts of electricity coming from the heavens. That's rad. Oh, I know, right? Yeah, it's super <laughs> rad. I mean, you're my favorite fulminologist. You are the awesome. only fulminologist I know, but you are my
1: favorite legitimately. <laughs> well, thank you, Ali. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so ask smart people stupid questions because it might spark some great ideas. (laughs) Also, someone just throw a dump truck full of money at climate and fire research, if you don't mind. Thank you so much. Also, you can follow Chris on Twitter at cgeesige39 or Instagram at chrisgeesige. And he says, if you can spell my name right, then you deserve to follow me. And it's in the title, folks. Plus, links to his social media are in the show notes. You can also follow ologies at ologies on Twitter and on Instagram. Please do. I'm on both also at Allie Ward with one L on everything. And more notes are at AllieWard.com slash Ologies slash Fulminology. That link is also in the show notes, as is a link to OlogiesMerch.com which sells t-shirts for 20 bucks. We keep them affordable because I just really love to see y'all wearing them in the wild, making new Ologies friends. You can tag photos with OlogiesMerch on Instagram and we repost you. Uh, Shannon Feltis and Bonnie Dutch of the comedy podcast You Are That manage all the merch. Thank you, Aaron Talbert for adminning the Facebook group of over 15,000 peaceful kind smart people and hello Ologies Redditors too thank you to everyone on Patreon.com slash Ologies for literally funding the show and submitting such good questions. Thank you to Emily White and the group of transcribers for getting all these episodes transcribed for our deaf and hard of hearing pals. Those are up for free for anyone who wants transcripts at AliWard.com slash Ologies extras alongside a bunch of bleeped episodes. You can download if you have kiddos or classes to teach. Thank you to Caleb Patton for bleeping. And thank you to Noelle Dilworth for helping me schedule interviews. Thank you to assistant editor, Jared Sleeper, who cuts out all my ums but not my swears. And of course, to the pod of thunder, Stephen Ray Thoris, who also hosts the podcast about kitties and see Jurassic, right, which is about dinosaurs to fine programs. Uh, Nick Thorburn wrote and performed the theme music. And if you stick it out through the credits, I divulge a secret of some sort. And this week's secret is that my favorite lightning storm ever was once in high school. My sister Janelle and I sat at the window in the living room and we just watched these wicked bolts dash across the sky like for I think a few hours just listening to Enya. Just in silence listening to Enya on a boom box. It was so rad. Okay, enjoy the thunder and the lightning. Duck for cover. And hey, remember, if Roy Sullivan can live through seven lightning strikes... You can cut banks. You can text your crush. Start your novel. We're all going to be bones anyway. But then our bones will become plants and frogs and rocks, which is pretty dope. Okay, wear a mask. Be cool to each other. Bye-bye. Pachydermatology, Cryptozoology. lithology, And technology. Meteorology.